uh, I'm going to offer prayer, and we're going we're gonna to get into this, continue on this series called Family Matters. And uh, today, the, the, particular, the particular thing, the habits of God's people, the way God wants us to behave that we're talking about is compassion. And there'll be a particular verse out of Ephesians that I'm going to highlight, and it doesn't necessarily look like it's about compassion because the word compassion isn't in it. But I hope I can do the job of showing you what it means, especially in our divided world. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we bless you, praise you, and thank you for who you are, for what you do, not only for us and in us, but through us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. This is your message for us, not my message for them. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say, I know there's a story that I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to share, but I'm not sure. Um, I ask that you if, if it's something you want said, I want to say it. If it's something you don't want said, please convict me of it, and then, but don't let me share it with your people. I don't want to tell them anything that is not your will and your desire for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So we are we're in Ephesians chapter 2, in just one paragraph today. Uh, I know the last few weeks we've gone, gone, they've been kind of extensive, but there was a lot to cover. Today, we're talking about one particular thing, and I'm going to highlight one particular area of that one particular thing. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and following, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing, uh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So that's not the one we're going to concentrate on, but that's kind of a strange part, place to start. So you have the Jewish people, God's chosen, the ones that he chose to be his representative family on the earth, where God, they're going to have access to the truth of the one true God for centuries, millennia. And then you have everybody else. And what had happened over years, instead of the, the people of God being the beacon on the hill that God wanted them to be, instead of the people that represent the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the sovereignty, the law of God, uh, they had kind of used the law to make themselves, separate themselves in such a way that there are the us and the them. And we're, we're, we're quite familiar with this. We see that like throughout the New Testament, we see the, the Pharisees who were very conservative. And they, they, they saw it as their job to help every normal person figure out how to be faithful to God, not only during temple worship, but day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. But their, their fervor and their zeal for keeping the word of God and the law of God turned into how do we separate ourselves from other people? And if you notice in, in the gospel stories, and we'll be in the gospel, I believe the gospel of Matthew um, after, the, after the beginning of the year, as the year turns, um, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't just go to the Jews. He spends most of his time in the Capernaum area. That's the area that's very Jewish. But he often goes, or he also goes across to the Gennesaret, to the Gerasenes, to the, to the Decapolis, across the Sea of Galilee. And that's, that's pagan Gentile territory. What Paul is saying here is that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the life of Jesus Christ, through the works of Jesus Christ, through the, 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 the trial, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Greek there is no longer male or female. There is no longer these things that separate us. He's taking the, the us and the them, and he's making it the us, 
That is the desire. So that's what it says when, he, when he, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. He's not saying that the Ten Commandments don't matter. That's not what Paul is getting at. But he is saying the thing that has been used to separate God's people from other people Now, Jesus, who went to all people, and Paul, who has been specifically sent to the non-Jewish people as an evangelist, that it's through the work of Jesus that that two, these two warring factions, so to speak, the us and the them, are made one. And then here, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body, that's the church, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So what's the difference between you, me, us, and people who disagree with or violently oppose everything we stand for. Do they have access to God through his spirit? They do. Through the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone, there is no one who seeks God, but God first seeks them. There is no one who is good, not even one, according to Romans chapter 3. So why why the divide? Why the anger and the hatred toward the church, and if we're honest, from the church? Is that Christ's desire? Is that Christ's heart? See, sometimes I believe that the people we get frustrated with, the people that, that, that don't like us, the people that that don't believe what we believe, do not practice what we practice, the people that aren't behaving like they know a God that they don't know. I mean, that's, that's really the frustration, isn't it? Sometimes that, that why don't they, why don't they, why don't they, why don't they? Well, because we can't expect people to follow a God that they don't know. We can't expect people to know a God that they have not really heard of. So they behave differently. And I'm using the word they on purpose because it's sometimes we, our natural tendency is to find who our people are and we are our people. But to think of the other people as someone we're against. It's known as tribalism and it's been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it happened with the Jews, the Jewish people, the people that God chose to be a City on a hill, or light on a hill, the, the, to, to don't hide it under a bushel, right? I'm going to let it shine. You, you open it up, and it's to show, to, to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you, to love, love, love. Doesn't mean to not have truth, doesn't mean to, to write off the disagreement, to de- but it does mean to show compassion to even people that are harsh and hating. See, we'll see it in, in uh, this, is, this is a church planter's passage that, that, that they, they, always, they always talk to you about. Because pray to the Lord of the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But look at what it says about Jesus when he's walking around in the area. This is uh, from Matthew chapter 10. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, that's me and you, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, when missionaries come to churches, it's the Great Commission, and it's this verse. Send out, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to the harvest field. Notice here, though, that it says that he saw them, and they were harassed, and it seemed as if they were sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. I'm going to define the word compassion and it's going to be a little because we, in, in our culture, we believe that our emotions center here in our heart. I have a heart for so-and-so. I really, I was moved in my heart. But in the, in the, in the, the, the first century Judaism and even in the Greek world, their emotions centered here in their guts, in their viscera, in their bowels. So whenever it says that Jesus was filled with compassion or moved with compassion or had compassion on him, it means that he had a visceral response, that he had a, 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 that, you know how you get butterflies in your stomach when you're kind of excited about something, but when something, you hear something tragic, Lynn, Lynn got news, it wasn't tragic, it was bad, but Lynn got news from, about someone on Saturday, yesterday, made a phone call that someone had, had gotten injured. And Lynn, you could tell inside of her, it was just, I heard like eight or nine times on the phone call, we were in the truck, and she goes, oh, that's not just heart, folks. That's, it changes, it changes your body chemistry. So when Jesus walked around into all these cities and towns, and when he was, he would see people, and they looked harassed, they looked like they were sheep without a shepherd, he was moved deep to his core, that he was like, oh, this is not how it should be. And if you think about Jesus in, in the story of his friend Lazarus who died and he got word that he had died and he waited another day or two to make sure he was all the way dead and then he showed up and, 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 and they were like, why weren't you here? You weren't here. You should have been here. And it said that Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he knew what he was going to do. He knew that Lazarus was going to come back from the dead. Why did Jesus weep? Because the world has gotten to such a point that this kind of thing can happen. His heart for his people, his heart for his friend, his heart for Mary and Martha, his heart for all of us is that it's not the way it's supposed to be. So he wept that death reigned supreme. And he, went, he came to make sure that the sting was taken out of death. But he's moved with compassion. Have you ever had someone show you compassion? I have a very innocuous experience with this. I know that when I, all my surgeries and all my injuries, people have come to comfort me. But there was one time in particular that I can remember that I was getting a little snippy. I was getting a little snarky. I was a little bucky. I was a little pokey. I was a little frustrated because I had just experienced, this is in, in January of 1989. I was at uh, Eastern Seminary or Eastern College for seminary uh, in, outside of Philadelphia for, for a, uh, an intensive seminary class. Chris Peters and I were roommates. 
Now, and this is going to be a little awkward because it wasn't a month, it was just a month later when Lynn and I started dating and we got married within the next 10 months. But there was, Chris and I were on Young Life staff and we had gone to new staff orientation out in Colorado. And we were both 22 years old and uh, young and fit and single. Well, he was, he was pretty serious, but but there were these young ladies and these guys that we, that we befriended. And one of those young ladies I kept in contact with from, uh, from August until January, and she happened to be at the same, she was taking the same, we called it Institute of Youth Ministry. She was taking the same classes. And we had been talking on the phone, and this is back when you had to dial 800 numbers on Sprint to, to make a call, and it still cost $1.25 a minute. You know, I was making $14,000 a year, so those, that was an investment in that relationship as far as I could tell. And so we got there, and she and I started hanging out a little bit. And one of the guys that we had met before, I'm not going to use his name because someone will know him, even though he's not from around here, he saw that, that this young lady and I, Kelly and I, were, were, seemed pretty close, and he just decided to swoop in, and he won. And it frustrated me because it felt like a betrayal to me from, from my friend who... I haven't talked to since. I'm not, I'm not bitter. It was just one of those moments. That you're like, why? That hurts. And so I was feeling alone. There was a time that Chris and I had in prayer. Um, and I just, because like, I had this desire, I knew that God wanted me, that, that he wanted for me to be in a covenant relationship with another person. He wanted me, I, I didn't feel the sense that he wanted me to be single the rest of my life. And so I had this visceral prayer Lord, if you want me to be single, take this desire away. Otherwise, I'm just not going to look. And one month later, there's Lynn. And I wasn't looking. In fact, I kind of resisted it for a while. But here's what happened. I was, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was young and immature. And I felt betrayed. And I'm sitting in a class. And I had, I had kind of snapped at somebody who asked me, how you're doing? I'm like, you want to know. Um, just sitting at my desk, and Terry McGonagall was the, was the professor that day, and an older gentleman who was one of the professors, he walked up, he saw something going on, and he just touched me on the shoulder and said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here if you need me. <laughs> I just wept. Now, it's a small little thing. I had my heart broken a little bit, um, felt betrayed a little bit, but I felt alone a lot. And one person saw that there was hurt there. He saw anger, but he saw hurt. And he just touched me and said, I'm here. Now, that's a minor little thing. But that man and I had never met before. He noticed something in another and offered compassion. Is it possible that all of the people that are angry with us that all of the things we see in our world, the great divide, and really you could, you, you could articulate the great divide in Scripture just like you could today. You could say that the Gentiles in the church are the progressives. And you could say that the Pharisees that became Christian are the conservatives. And what does Jesus say? There's not two. Because of the Spirit of God, there's one. And when he went door to door. He saw that they were sheep without a shepherd, that they had been harassed. And what's the other word here? 
He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Is it possible, I'm not saying that I've got this figured out, but is it possible that the church of Jesus Christ, God's family on earth, with a divided and angry and suspicious and accusatory world, is it possible that he wants us to look past the words and the anger on the face and just touch someone on the shoulder and say, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here. Is it possible that God wants his church to be compassionate? Is it possible that we, that God wants us to look at our enemies and love them? Is it possible? I'm not saying compromise, not saying give them what they want, not saying that, that, we, that we have to, 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 to counter what we believe. I'm not saying that at all. Truth is still truth. But is it possible that the world might change because Christians are resiliently compassionate? That when, when, we're, when we're shot at, metaphorically speaking, we forgive. Is it possible that even the people that are most vitriolic, most angry in their speech and in their behavior, that, 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 is it possible that the people that want us to go away, the people that if they had their druthers, there would be no church, there would be no Christ, there would be no God, is it possible that the only way to change them is to give them, the only way to give them another set of lenses is to behave the way our Father behaves. I think so. In fact, Scripture backs me up. Time and time and time and time and time again. And it is hard to be compassionate to people that are angry. It is hard to show compassion to someone who hates you. It is hard But did Jesus call us to an easy life? Or does he want his people to behave like he did? You know, when he was walking around village to village, town to town, door to door, and he ran into people that were hurting, he ran into people that were angry, he ran into people that were sick. He saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And if you, if, if you will put on a new set of lenses, if you will just do this and look around at the angry people, the hateful people, the people that are trying to redefine everything by what they want instead of what God wants, you might find that they're without a shepherd, that they're without hope that they're without purpose, so they're trying to find one on their own. You might find that what Christ offers will transform lives. But they're not going to pick this up and read it. And I'm sure that Pastor Greg will be okay with me saying this. I know that he's heard it from someone else, but you may be, and I know it's cliche, but you may be the only Bible angry, hateful, accusatory, and suspicious people ever read. And they're going to look through their own lenses, and they're going to think we're hypocritical. But when do they they call us hypocrites? We say we love, and then we don't. 
So I am not in any shape, form, or fashion accusing you of anything. I am telling you what this did to me this week. Because it is really easy, easy, to be angry with those who are angry toward us. But the scripture tells us, if you love those who love you, even the ungodly do that. But to love your enemy, to love those who want harm to come to you, that is the mark of a Christian. Not just to love one another, but to show compassion on those who hate you. And to be compassionate is to, is to be moved deep down in your viscera and realize that the symptoms, the hatred, the accusation, the, the frustration, the anger, those are symptoms. The disease is hopelessness. The disease is counting on creatures to do what only the Creator can do. The disease is separation from God. And you have the vaccine. You have the cure. You have hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds, not just between us, but out there. And we live in western Michigan, and it's not as bad as it is elsewhere. But as we talked about a few months ago, I asked you if you think it's getting worse, and everyone's kind of nodding. And my response to that was, of course it's getting worse, because they're things of man. They're things we're doing. They're things that people who are not dependent on God are doing. And so that's always going to get worse until and unless we say there's not two, there's one. And even though it doesn't feel like that, Jesus' desire is the same as it is for us, that they be transformed by the renewal of their mind. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance, not our judgment. And I'm not on social media because I don't like to see what some of the people of God do on social media. I don't want to look at someone and go, I haven't heard anything negative about any of you. That is not the, that's not what this is about. It is a reminder, though, that as things progress and get worse, his people shouldn't. We shouldn't get worse. We should get better. We shouldn't get angry. We should forgive. We shouldn't return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. We should turn the other cheek. When asked to take something, a burden, and walk with it for a mile, offer yourself to go another. We know these passages, and they're very good passages, and they're, and they're things that we hang on to. But it is... There's a difference between doing it when it's easy and doing it when it gets harder and harder and harder. I'm going to leave you with this, one question. When in your life has the right thing been the easy one? I can give you a couple of examples. If you deliver pizza for a living, the easiest way to get to the address is the right way to get to the address. Using the bathroom, there's no reason to make that difficult. Just do it easy. But anything of, of consequence, anything that has meat, meaning or teeth to it, 
anything in your life where you have to take a stand for God, anything that you've learned something from that, that has stuck and been significant, 99 plus percent, if you want to know what the right thing to do is, pick the hard one. Easy, everyone does easy. Christians do hard. We return evil with kindness. We return hatred with compassion. We look at someone and we see all the bluster, me snapping at people, me frustrated, me feeling betrayed. And the Christian says, I can see something's going on. I'm here if you need me. Changed everything. A simple act of compassion. Changed my soul. And I chose a simple act because it was so simple. But it changed everything. And a year later, less than a year later, my prayer that I had uttered to God was fulfilled. I've been married for 32 years. I deeply love my wife. And I knew I loved her the first, first time we, we decided to start dating. I knew it. In fact, she asked me a couple of weeks in, we had the define your relationship talk. And she go, and it, it, I, I asked her what she thought, and she kind of hemmed and hawed, and, uh, which was not fair for me to put her on the spot like that, but I did. I'm 22 and immature. Uh, but she asked me, and I said, I'm pursuing this relationship to marriage and asking God to stop it if that's not his desire. I knew from my prayer that he didn't take away the desire, and then I knew when I met Lynn that it was the person that God wanted for me, and I was, nothing was going to shake me. But if I had remained snarky and snippy and hurt and betrayed and frustrated and heartbroken, I don't know if I would have been available to love someone when I was so wounded. Most of the people who were angry, frustrating, accusatory, and hopeless are hurt. Something has disappointed them. Something, and even if it hasn't, we tend to find ways that we've been wronged. We, we collect offenses. It's just the human condition. So I implore you, Christians, when you start finding yourself get angry at people who are angry, ask yourself if it's possible that they're hurt and disappointed. And if it is possible that they're hurt and disappointed, maybe instead of responding with, from anger to anger, respond from anger to compassion. And pray that the Lord, if you can't touch them on the shoulder and say, I'm here, pray that the Lord puts someone in their life that just shows godly compassion. I don't think that this is the panacea, this doesn't fix the whole world, but it does change our hearts when we look at others and have the heart of Christ for them. They are sheep without a shepherd, but we know the shepherd. They are lost people, but we know the way. They're hopeless people, and we have hope. And it is the right kind, merciful, graceful, and compassionate thing to do, to live our lives in such a way that shows others that there's hope, mercy, kindness, and compassion. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made. Lord, the fact that you would, that your scripture says, what is 
humanity that you are mindful of us. Lord, it is your desire that all people know you, love you, are renewed by you, are transformed by you. And you've, the supernatural vehicle that you've chosen to, to take that message to the world is us, the church. Lord, I pray, pray that we remain faithful not only to your scripture, but also to your heart. Lord, I pray that each one of us see opportunity this week to show compassion because that is your heart for us and for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.